Chapter 18 of The Uncommercial Traveler. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Martin. The Uncommercial Traveler by Charles Dickens. Chapter 18 The Calais Nightmare. It is an unsettled question with me whether I shall leave Calais something handsome in my will, or whether I shall leave it in my malediction. I hate it so much and yet I am always so very glad to see it, that I am in a state of constant indecision on this subject. When I first made acquaintance with Calais, it was as a meandering youth wretch in a clammy perspiration and dripping saline particles, who was conscious of no extremities but the one great extremity, seasickness, who was a mere bilious torso with a mislaid headache somewhere in its stomach, who had been put into a horrible swing in Dover Harbour and tumbled giddily out of it, on the French coast, or the Isle of Man, or anywhere. Times have changed, and now I enter Calais self-reliant and rational. I know where it is beforehand, I keep a lookout for it, I recognize its landmarks when I see any of them, I am acquainted with its ways, and I know, and can bear, its worst behavior. Malignant Calais, low-lying alligator, evading the eyesight and discouraging hope, dodging flat streak, and now on this bow, now on that, now anywhere, now everywhere, now nowhere. In vain, Cape Gunez, coming frankly forth into the sea, exhorts the failing to be stout of heart and stomach. Sneaking clay, prone behind its bar, invites him medically to despair. Even when it can no longer quite conceal itself in its muddy dock, it has an evil way of falling off, has clay, which is more hopeless than invisibility. The pier is all but on the bow spirit, and you think you are there. Roll, roar, wash. Calais has retired miles inland, and Dover has burst out to look for it. It has a last dip and slide in its character, has Calais, to be especially commanded to the infernal gods. Thrice accursed be that garrison town when it dives under the boat's keel and comes up a league or two to the right, with the packet shivering and spluttering and staring about for it not but what i have my animosities towards dover i particularly detest dover for the self-complacency with which it goes to bed it always goes to bed when i'm going to clay with a more brilliant display of lamp and candle than any other town mr and mrs birmingham host and hostess of the lord warden hotel are much my esteemed friends but they are too conceited about the comforts of that establishment when the night mail is starting i know it is a good house to stay at and I don't want the fact insisted upon me in all its warm, bright windows at such an hour. I know the warden is a stationary edifice that never rolls or pitches, and I object to its big outline seeming to insist upon that circumstance, and, as it were, to come over me with it when I am reeling on the deck of the boat. Beshrew the warden likewise for obstructing that corner and making the wind so angry as it rushes around. Shall I not know that it blows quite soon enough without the officious warden's interference? As I wait here on board the night packet for the south-eastern train to come down with the mail, Dover appears to me to be illuminated for some intensely aggravating festivity in my personal dishonor. All its noises smack of taunting praises of the land, and dispraises of the gloomy sea, and of me for going on it. The drums upon the heights have gone to bed, or I know they would rattle taunts against me for having my unsteady footing on the slippery deck. The many gas eyes of marine parade twinkle in an offensive manner, as if with derision. The distant dogs of Dover bark at me in my misshapen wrappers, as if I were Richard the Third. They screech a bell, and two red eyes come gliding down the Admiralty Pier, with a smoothness of motion rendered more smooth by the heaving of the boat. 
The sea makes noises against the pier, as if several hippopotami were laughing at it, and were prevented by circumstances over which they had no control from drinking peaceably. We, the boat, had become violently agitated. Rumble, hum, scream, roar, and establish an immense family washing day at each paddle box. Bright patches break out in the train as the doors of the post office vans are opened, and instantly stooping figures with sacks upon their backs begin to be beheld among the piles descending as it would seem in ghostly procession to davy jones locker the passengers come on board a few shadowy frenchmen with hat boxes shaped like the stoppers of gigantic case bottles a few shadowy germans in immense fur coats and boots a few shadowy englishmen prepare for the worst and pretending not to expect it i cannot disguise my uncommercial mind the miserable fact that we are a body of outcasts that the attendants on us are as scant in number as may serve to get rid of us with the least possible delay that there are no night loungers interested in us that the unwilling lamps shiver and shudder at us that the sole object is to commit us to the deep and abandon us lo the two red eyes glaring in increasing distance and then the very train itself has gone to bed before we are off what is the moral support derived from some sea-going amateurs from an umbrella why do certain voyagers across the channel always put up that article and hold it up with a grim and fierce tenacity a fellow-creature near me whom i only know to be a fellow-creature because of his umbrella without which he might be a dark bit of cliff pier or bulkhead clutches that instrument with a desperate grasp that will not relax until he lands at calais is there an analogy in certain constitutions between keeping an umbrella up and keeping the spirits up a hawser thrown on board with a flop replies stand by stand by below half a turn ahead half a turn ahead half speed half speed port port steady steady go on go on a stout wooden wedge driven in at my right temple and out at my left a floating deposit of lukewarm oil in my throat and a compression of the bridge of my nose and a blunt pair of pincers these are the personal sensations by which i know we are off and by which i shall continue to know it until i am on the soil of france my symptoms have scarcely established themselves comfortable when two or three skating shadows that have been trying to walk or stand get flung together and other two or three shadows in tarpaulin slide with them into corners and cover them up then the south foreland lights begin to hiccup at us in a way that bodes no good it is at this period that my detestation of calais knows no bounds inwardly i resolve afresh that i never will forgive that hated town I have done so before, many times, but that is past. Let me register a vow. Implacable animosity to Calais ever that was an awkward sea, and the funnel seems of my opinion, for it gives a complaining roar. The wind blows stiffly from the nor'east, and the sea runs high. We ship a deal of water, the night is dark and cold, and the shapeless passengers lie about in melancholy bundles, as if they were sorted out for the laundress but for my own uncommercial part i cannot pretend that i am much inconvenienced by any of these things a general howling whistling flopping gurgling and scooping i am aware of and a general knocking about of nature but the impressions i receive are very vague in a sweet faint temper something like the smell of damaged oranges i think i should feel languidly benevolent if i had time i have not time because i am under a curious compulsion to occupy myself with the irish melodies rich and rare were the gems she wore is a particular melody to which i find myself devoted i sing it to myself in the most charming manner and with the greatest expression now and then i raise my head 
I'm sitting on the hardest of what seats, in the most uncomfortable of what attitudes, but I don't mind it. And notice that I am a whirling shuttlecock between a fiery battledore of a lighthouse on the French coast and a fiery battledore of a lighthouse on the English coast. But I don't notice it particularly, except to feel envenomed in my hatred of Calais. Then I go on again. Rich and rare were the gems she wore, and a bright gold ring on her hand she bore. But oh, her beauty was far beyond. I'm particularly proud of my execution here, when I become aware of another awkward shock from the sea, and another protest from the funnel, and a fellow creature at the paddle box more audibly indisposed than I think he need be. Her sparkling gems or snow-white wand, But oh, her beauty was far beyond. Another awkward one here, and the fellow creature with the umbrella down and picked up. Her sparkling gems or her port, port, steady, steady, snow-white fellow creature at the paddle box, very selfishly audible, bump, roar, wash, white wand. As my execution of the Irish melodies partakes of my imperfect perceptions of what is going on around me, so what is going on around me becomes something else than what it is. The stokers open the furnace doors below to feed the fires, and I am again on the box of the old Exeter Telegraph fast coach, and that is the light of the forever extinguished coach lamps, and the gleam on the hatches and paddle boxes is their gleam on cottages and haystacks, and the monotonous noise of the engines is the steady jingle of the splendid team. Anon, the intermittent funnel roar of protest at every violent roll becomes the regular blast of a high-pressure engine, and I recognize the exceedingly explosive steamer in which I ascend the Mississippi when the American Civil War was not, and when only its causes were. A fragment of mast on which the light of a lantern falls, an end of rope, and a jerking block or so became suggestive of Franconi's circus at Paris, where I shall be this very night, mayhap, for it must be morning now and they dance the self-same time and tune as the trained steed Black Raven. What may be the specialty of these waves as they come rushing on, I cannot desert the pressing demands made upon me by the gems she wore, to inquire, but they are charged with something about Robinson Crusoe. And I think it was in Yarmouth Roads that he first went seafaring and was near foundering. What a terrific sound that word had for me when I was a boy, in his first gale wind. Still, through all this, I must ask her, who was she, I wonder, for the fiftieth time, and without ever stopping? Does she not fear to stray, so lone and lovely through this bleak way, and are Aaron's son so good or so cold, as not to be tempted by more fellow-creatures at the puddle-bucks or gold? Sir Knight, I feel not the least alarm. No son of Aaron will offer me harm. For though they love fellow-creature with umbrella down again in golden store, Sir Knight, they what a tremendous one love, honor, and virtue more. For though they love stewards with a bull's eye bright, they'll trouble you for your ticket, sir. Rough passage tonight. I freely admit it to be a miserable piece of human weakness and inconsistency, but I no sooner become conscious of those last words from the steward than I begin to soften towards Calais. Whereas I have been vindictively wishing that those Calais burghers who came out of their town by a shortcut into the history of England, with those fatal ropes around their neck, by which they have since been towed into so many cartoons, had all been hanged on the spot. I now begin to regard them as highly respectable and virtuous tradesmen. Looking about me, I see the light of Cape Grenez, well astern of the boat on the davits to leeward, and the light of Calais Harbour undeniably at its old tricks, but still ahead and shining. 
of sentiments of forgiveness of Calais, not to say of attachment to Calais, begin to expand my bosom. I have weak notions that I will stay there a day or two on my way back. A faded and recumbent stranger, pausing in a profound revere over the rim of a basin, asks me what kind of place Calais is. I tell him, heaven forgive me, a very agreeable place indeed, rather hilly than otherwise. So strangely goes the time, and on the whole so quickly, though still I seem to have been on board a week, that I am bumped, rolled, gurgled, washed, and pitched into Clay Harbour before her maiden smile has finally lighted her through the green isle, and blessed forever is she who relied on entering Clay at the top of the tide. For we have not to land to-night among those slimy timbers, covered with green hair as if it were the mermaid's favorite combing-place, where one crawls to the surface of the jetty like a stranded shrimp. But we go steaming up the harbor to the railway station quay, and as we go the sea washes in and out among piles and planks with dead heavy beats and in quite a furious manner, whereof we are proud and the lamp shakes in the wind, and the bells of Calais striking one seem to send their vibrations struggling against the troubled air, as we have come struggling against troubled water. And now, in the sudden relief and wiping of faces, everybody on board seems to have a prodigious double tooth out, and to be this very instant free of the dentist's hands. And now we all know for the first time how wet and cold we are, and how salty we are, and now I love Calais with my heart of hearts. Hotel Dessa but in this one case it is not a vocal cry it is but a bright lustre in the eyes of the cheery representative of that best of inns hotel maurice hotel de france hotel de clay the royal hotel sir engageuse you going to paris sir your baggage register fru sir bless ye my tutors bless ye my commissionaires bless ye my hungry-eyed mysteries in caps of a military form who are always here day or night fair weather or foul seeking inscrutable jobs which i never see you get bless ye my custom-house officers in green and grey permit me to grasp the welcome hands that descend into my travelling bag one on each side and meet at the bottom to give my change of linen a peculiar shake-up as if it were a measure of chaff or grain i have nothing to declare monsieur le douane except that when i cease to breathe clay will be found written on my heart no article liable to local duty have I with me, Monsieur l'Officier de l'Octroi, unless the overflowing of a breast devoted to your charming town should be in that wise chargeable. Ah! See at the gangway, by the twinkling lantern, my dearest brother and friend, he once of the passport office, he who collects the names. May he be forever changeless in his buttoned black surtout with his notebook in hand, and his tall black hat surmounting his round, smiling, patient face. Let us embrace, my dearest brother, I am yours, a tout jamais, for the whole of ever. Clay up and doing at the railway station, and Clay down dreaming in its bed, Clay with something of an ancient and fish-like smell about it, and Clay blown and sea-washed pure, Clay represented at the buffet by savoury roast fowls, hot coffee, cognac, and Bordeaux and Calais represented everywhere by flitting persons with a monomania for changing money, though I never shall be able to understand in my present state of existence how they live by it. But I suppose I should, if I understood the currency question. Clay and grow, and Calais and detail. Forgive one who has deeply wronged you. I was not fully aware of it on the other side, but I meant Dover. Ding, ding! To the carriages, gentlemen the travellers. Ascend, then, gentlemen the travellers, for Hasbroke, Lille, Douai, Bruxelles, Arras, Amiens, and Paris. 
I, humble representative of the uncommercial interest, ascend with the rest. The train is light tonight, and I share my compartment with but two fellow travelers. One, a compatriot in an obsolete cravat, who thinks it a quite unaccountable thing that they don't keep London time on a French railway, and who is made angry by my modestly suggesting the possibility of Paris time being more in their way. The other, a young priest, with a very small bird in a very small cage, who feeds the small bird with a quill, and then puts him up in the network above his head, where he advances twittering to his front wires, and seems to address me in an electioneering manner. The compatriot who crossed in the boat, and whom I judged to be some person of distinction, as he was shut up, like a stately species of rabbit, in a private hutch on deck, and the young priest, who joined us at Calais, are soon asleep, and then the bird and I have it all to ourselves. A stormy night still, a night that sweeps the wires of the electric telegraph with a wild and fitful hand, a night so very stormy, with the added storm of the train progress through it, that when the guard comes clambering round to mark the tickets while we are at full speed, a really horrible performance in express train, though he holds on to the open window by his elbows in the most deliberate manner, he stands in such a whirlwind that I grip him fast by the collar, and I feel it next to manslaughter to let him go. Still, when he is gone, the small, small bird remains at the front wires feebly twittering to me, twittering and twittering, until leaning back in my place and looking at him in drowsy fascination, and I find that he seems to jog my memory as we rush along. Uncommercial travels, thus the small, small bird, have lain in their idle, thriftless way through all this range of swamp and dyke, as through many other odd places, and about here, as you very well know, are the queer old stone farmhouses approached by drawbridges, and the windmills that you get at by boats. Here are the lands where the women hoe and dig, paddling canoe-wise from field to field, and here are the cabarets and the other peasant houses where the stone dovecotes in their littered yard are as strong as warders' towers in old castles. Here are the long monotonous miles of canal, with the great Dutch-built barges garishly painted, and the towing girls, sometimes harnessed by the forehead, sometimes by the girdle and the shoulders, not a pleasant sight to see, scattered through this country are mighty works of Vauban, whom you know about, and regiments of such corporals as you heard of once upon a time, and many a blue-eyed bell. Through these flat districts, in shining summer days, walk those long, grotesque files of young novices in enormous shovel hats, whom you remember blackening the ground checkered by avenues of leafy trees. And now that Haysbrook slumbers certain kilometers ahead, recall the summer evening when your dusty feet strolling up from the station tended haphazard to a fair there, where the oldest inhabitants were circling round and round a barrel organ on hobby horses with the greatest gravity, and where the principal show in the fair was a religious Richardson's. Literally, on its own announcement in great letters, Theatre Redejou in which improving temple the dramatic representation was of all the interesting events in the life of our lord from the manger to the tomb the principal female character without any reservation or exception being at the moment of your arrival engaged in trimming the external moderators as it was growing dusk while the next principal female character took the money and the young st john disported himself upside down on the platform looking up at this point to confirm the small small bird in every particular he has mentioned before I find he has ceased to twitter, and has put his head under his wing. Therefore, in my different way, I follow the good example. End of chapter 18. The Kalai Night Mail. This has been a recording by Laura Martin.